At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What is it that's been hidden? What is it that's hidden from the wise and some say the prudent, the wise and the understanding, and revealed to the infants, to the, to the babes? Well, it appears to be the key of the kingdom, the heart of the gospel. It's the way of coming to Jesus and trusting wholly in him. On other occasions, Jesus talks about the need to come as little children if we're to come to the kingdom. Sometimes we think about it just being children and we look at, well, what is it about children that that is special in this whole business of coming? And with no ill will towards towards my little friend who identified me, you can't... Uh, You can't shush someone who recognizes and celebrates that I'm here. But we all know that there are places where children start getting pretty independent. You know, the two-year-old who's going to start saying, it's mine, I do it, my daughter would say, I do it myself. And that independence. But Jesus talks elsewhere about little children. Well, how little? Well, here he says specifically the infants. Translations would say the babes or the babies. Pideon is the word for for a little child. Pais can be a child or a servant. But here he uses the word napios or napioi in the the plural. The infants, the ones who are quite literally, the Greek sense is those who, who are unable to speak. They're at that age where they're completely dependent upon their parents. That's really important in this image. Those who come in the absolute trust, that's where they are in their lives. They know that they need the trust and they need that that care of those who are looking after them. Reveal to the little ones who come in that absolute trust before the Father, let go of themselves completely. And it's set against the way of the wise and understanding. And Jesus, no more than St. Paul, is deprecating the whole business of strong intellect or learning or actually growing wise. But this is that kind of worldly wisdom that is particularly self-sufficient. Watched it over the years. The people with really simple faith who simply trust in God and pray and walk expecting him to open the way. And they see miracles unfold. And those of us who are so wise and at times skeptical that we can't let go and we can't believe. The wise ones imagine that there's a way to this place called the kingdom, that there's something that we can do to get there, to lay hold of it. The little ones know to come to the one in whom is the kingdom. We can all let things echo in our heads. You know, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. I always urge people to look at things in context. Really important when we're reading scripture to, to set the words in context. And if you look at what comes before this. Jesus has begun with those words that you have hidden these things. What are the things he's talking about? Well, they're the witnesses to the kingdom. If you start going backwards, you go back into chapter 11, immediately, well, we're in chapter 11, but immediately before our gospel, he's upbraiding the cities, cities of Israel, who have had the testimony of the things of the kingdom. 
Now, if you go into the 10th chapter, you find him sending out his apostles two by two to do the works that he's been doing. They're healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming that the kingdom is at hand. It's near you. It's, it's right here. Well, there are going to be signs of the kingdom, but the kingdom is coming in Christ. But he's upbraiding the cities who didn't pay attention. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Capernaum. And he says, you know, in the day of judgment, it's going to be better for Tyre and Sidon, for Sodom, than it is for you. Now, I think we all have Sodom in mind. And don't listen to the modern voices that tell you Sodom was just about inhospitality. It's always been associated with the sexual sin and perversion, rejection of God's word and his will, and that's real. But we know about Sodom's state. Tyre and Sidon, perhaps not, but a, a, a clue is to think way back and remember the time of Jezebel and Ahab, the ruling pair in Israel, Ahab the king and Jezebel. Jezebel was a Sidonian princess. It gives you a sense of Sidon. She came in with all of her rejection of the worship of God, of her Baal worship, and actually a determination to destroy worship of the true Lord. It will be better for them if the works that have been done in you were done in them. They would have repented. They would have turned to the Lord, which might be kind of hyperbolic, but we all remember the book of Jonah, and we remember that Jonah went to the people of Nineveh, who were solemn enemies of Israel, were a wicked people. They're delivered because they turn in wholehearted repentance at the word of God's judgment. Now, granted, they get strengthened again, and years later, they're destroying Israel. And you can imagine why Jonah was a little put out about having to go to them. But he upbraids them because the witness has been there. It was there in the apostles as they went out and preached to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. At the beginning of the chapter, though, he points to the witness in his own life of what's going on. The disciples of John the Baptist, remember, they came to him. And it was John's question, are you the one or are we to wait for another? And I've, I've talked about that before. Most commentators think that John had his doubts. The church fathers were pretty clear it wasn't the doubts of St. John. It was his desire that his disciples would have the same kind of first-hand witness that he had. So go and see. Go and see what he's doing. And what does Jesus say? Well, tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. So all the signs of the kingdom, all the expected things. But then the last line in that. I know this isn't the gospel before you, but in the context, go back and read Matthew 11. He says, and blessed is he who takes no offense at me. The verb in Greek to take offense is scandalizo, which ought to ring bells for you. Scandalize. They aren't just disagreeing with him. They're actually scandalized by him. They take offense. They rail against him. They fight against him. They try to, in the long run, to stamp him out, to put him to death. But the kingdom isn't out there. It's not a place that you can get to. The kingdom is here 
in Jesus Christ. They need to come to Him. They need to turn from themselves and come to Him. Blessed is He who takes no offense at me. And then as the disciples of John leave, He points to a third point of witness. He points to John himself. And the witness that was there in John, which is not so much John doing the works of the kingdom, as John preparing the way, fulfilling Scripture, And here we get the clearest word on the lips of Jesus identifying John with the one of whom Malachi spoke. Here is the servant who comes to prepare the way, the way of the one who comes as the refiner's fire to purify the sons of Levi, to enable the people to offer true worship. And you'll remember John saying, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he'll actually then go on to say, well, Malachi told you that before the the great and terrible day of the Lord, before that point where all things would be judged and transformed and the kingdom would come, he would send Elijah to do the work of repentance, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. If you can believe it, he says, he is Elijah. Well, we know from Luke 1, the words to Zechariah, that this child will come in the spirit of Elijah. And at the end of that, just in this whole theme of what's been received and who can receive it, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he'll go on to upbraid the cities that have rejected the witness. But before he does that, there's a brief word about what he labels as this generation. And he highlights it as being the self-centered generation that actually takes offense at him. Because it says, well, we piped and you didn't dance. We were doing things for you and you didn't respond. And they take that offense. And at the end of that, he says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now, properly, if you're reading the King James, it says by her children. And the Greek is technon plural form of that, that really it's the offspring. You remember Jesus saying, what makes a man unclean? It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. Because that shows the state of the heart. From the heart come all these unclean things that defile a man. And here he's saying the nature of this wisdom is identified by what it produces. The wisdom of God produces this childlike trust. But the wisdom of this world, the wisdom that's the self-sufficient wisdom that trusts in itself, produces an offense against Christ himself. At best, tries to do things for him. At worst, rejects him outright. St. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, recall in the first chapter, contrasts the wisdom of this world with what he calls the foolishness of God, the way of the cross, the way of letting go, of everything, laying down one's life in perfect love. He contrasts the strength, the power of the world with the weakness of God, the weakness that actually breaks open the strongholds of of death and of the devil. You can't win your way into this kingdom. You have to come as the little ones come. You have to come as those who come in absolute trust, who let go of themselves and come to Christ. 2 Corinthians 12 is always worth going back to and thinking of even St. Paul learning that lesson. 
St. Paul, who was going to do, well, who was doing all these great things for Christ. I always think about him doing his ministry and having this thorn in the flesh that strikes him down. And I'm not going back into that one, but it's often depicted as being a physical ailment and something that strikes in his point of weakness. I think it's about his pride. I think it strikes him in an area of strength. I imagine that Paul is doing all these great things for the Lord. And he says, Lord, this is tripping me up. This is getting in the way of my ministry. And Jesus says, "Uh, no, Paul, I won't take it away. And he has to beg three times before it gets through to him that the Lord's saying, no, he's to listen to. And I said I wasn't getting into it, but but some of you have heard my little dialogue on that one where I, I think of Jesus saying to him, no, I'm not going to take it away. And Paul saying, but Lord, I'm doing all these things for you. This is my ministry. It's getting in the way of my ministry. And hold on to this because I'm going to come back to it in just a couple of minutes at the end because this gets really personal at the moment. It's my ministry that I'm doing for you. And Jesus finally, after saying no the third time, says, Paul, if it's your ministry, it's not mine. I don't want you to do great things for me. I want to do great things through you. I don't want your strength until you give me your weakness and you will find your strength in me. And so Paul goes on to boast in the things that make him weak in his afflictions, because when I am weak, then I am strong. His power is made perfect in weakness. Not what we do for him, but what he does in us, coming with that trust. And I think about that when we come in repentance. I don't want you to spend hours in the confessional necessarily, going through every aspect of your lives, but I do expect when you come that you're opening not just the failures, but you're laying before God everything. Because sometimes in the strengths we have the great danger that we're again we're trying to do it for him and we're saying lord it's okay here i can do this one where i really need the help is here where i keep tripping up and he wants to say if you're doing those things without me you're actually getting away from me do you remember last week's gospel jesus saying he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me where we are again being reminded. He's not telling us we're not to love our families and those he's given us who for whom we have special responsibility. But as I've come back to again and again, if we love them first, they come between us and him. We have to give even them to him. We have to let go of all of that into his hands. He enables us then to love them in him. And then they're part of our love of him, loving him as we ought. If we do not give them first to him, even those precious loves come between us and him, and they become idols. However good the love is in and of itself, letting go of everything, and that's followed with the, he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The life we have without him is not life at all. It's mortality. It's under the sentence of death. The life that we have in him is that which is everlasting. And again, 
One of those passages of St. Paul I come back to again and again, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul will talk about coming to Christ. Last of all, he appeared to me as one born out of due time, born ectromata, I was dead. That's the word for one who is stillborn, miscarried. I came out from the womb. I thought I had life in this world, but I wasn't alive until I met Jesus. I have no life except in him. But he does give us that life. When we come to him and let go of our lives in the cross, we die to him. He doesn't just say, come as little children. He actually says, unless you're born again, unless you start over from the very beginning. Well, there you get the infants at the start of all of that. You have to be reoriented to the things of the kingdom in order to see, in order to receive, in order to enter in. Okay, all of that is right in the heart of those comfortable words that we hear when Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. That's different wording from what we'll get in a few minutes, but, and I will give you rest. We get that in the comfortable words, that first part. Of course, it goes on from there. The rest that he gives us is the refreshment. I think the burdening that we have is to be thought of as whatever we're carrying apart from him what we're carrying in our own strength, even the things we think we're managing pretty well with, all of it comes. We're supposed to come as the infants who know that we need him for everything. Gosh, go back again. Go back to the law that was given under Moses. I keep saying it applies to every aspect of life to remind them that you shouldn't be brushing your teeth without it being something you do in the Lord. He shouldn't be doing anything apart from him. But he offers us refreshment. He offers to take that off of us. But kind of like his disciples at the Last Supper where he washes their feet, we need the humility to let him wash our feet. But it's refreshment because it's not the end of the story. He's not just lifting it off and saying, go off and play, nor is he saying, okay, lie down. You can stay here for the rest of your life. No, the next step is that he gives us his yoke. And his burden. At the Last Supper, you'll notice, he washes their feet and then immediately gives them what? The new commandment. To love even as he loves them. Which he will demonstrate means going the way of the cross. It means a a self-giving that would be beyond them if they hadn't first given themselves to him and received his grace. And so he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just quickly, the word for easy here. The Greek is Christos, which sounds an awful lot like Christos, uh, the Christ, the anointed one. But it's the word that usually means useful. That means it's well suited. It does the job. This isn't a rough yoke. It doesn't chafe. It's smooth, it's designed for you, and the burden is light. Again, forgive me, Greek, but I've been off for a a week. I'll be off again, so you'll be spared this for a little bit. But alaphros is the word, and it means means light, but in the sense of, of fleeting. There's only one other place in the New Testament that it's used, and that's in 2 Corinthians 4, where St. Paul says that this light momentary affliction And he's talking about a great deal of suffering, in fact, but is not worth 
comparing with the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed. Um, Elaphros carries that sense of like when you're reading Ecclesiastes and the preacher says all is vanity, chasing after the wind. It's going to pass away. It may be overwhelming, the burden that's laid upon you, but it, it's just in this world and it's not going to last. It can't take you out of life. But it's set against the eternal weight of glory. And you remember some weeks ago my talking about glory and saying that Paul has in his head the Hebrew, kavot, for that word for glory, which means literally weight. This is lasting. This is substantial. Jesus doesn't promise us that the the load he gives us will be something that we dance under, but it is what he gives us and he'll give us the grace to bear it. And even if if it brings us to that point of death, it's death in him. It's life in him then. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. He promises that life, that life which is eternal. This is a mortal life that we have on our own. What we have in him is eternal. Okay, I said this was really personal this week, and I just want to close with thinking about this. When we come to him with our burdens, we let go of everything into his hands. That's what he calls us to. That's real repentance. That's coming as the infants, as the little ones. When we let go of it to him, He gives us what is ours to bear. And it really matters that we understand that what we receive then, we receive as from his hand. It may be difficult. It may not be what we expect. But it is from his hand, and therefore he gives the grace. Most of you are aware that, well, I wasn't, well, we're sort of into holidays, but our holidays have been postponed. I've been a little bit out of commission, just to be perhaps um, uncomfortably blunt, but I have a prostate issue that's just enlargement and keeps me from emptying bladder such that I've had to be catheterized. If you don't know what that means, go and look it up. (laughs) Not really comfortable. I thought maybe a week and a half. Two weeks was the maximum. I expected to be delivered. We postponed our holidays. I prayed and put things in the Lord's hands as I do. Well, I wasn't where I needed to be. So I've been recatheterized. Well, darn it, on one hand, I'm not going to put things on hold anymore, so we're going on our holidays anyway. But I've had time to think a little bit about this one again. This isn't what I wanted, and I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that Father Kipling likewise is stricken somewhat in his own health. I think there's some spiritual things going on that we need to pray about, but the Lord gives grace and he works through all of this. If I've put this in his hands, well, how is this not what he gives me to bear? Not just to bear, though, but to allow him to work through. I've shared with a couple of people, even at the hospital, even there being looked over, there comes a man who is pretty distraught because he's been in there since 10 o'clock the night before and has been undergoing tests and they're not clear on what's happening and he's been waiting for an MRI and is now being told finally that it's not going to happen for hours. 
Not until they shut down for the day. It'll be an after-hours thing. And he's obviously a little bit under that. And I spoke to him about that. Discovered he was a Catholic, and I offered to pray over him. Which I did. Within five to ten minutes, a technician arrived and said, Oh, we've got an opening. You can have your test now. His test results were back by the time... Well, not by the time I was done before I was done, because I was there for a good while yet. We're called to come as children. That's how we receive the kingdom. The kingdom comes in Jesus. It's not a place. It's not things that we know and things that we do so much as the one to whom we come. And his grace is sufficient. His life is full and and perfect. But his will, his will, that's what he celebrates before the Father. Lord, such was your perfect will. He's the one to whom we give everything. All that we're carrying on our own, in our own strength, apart from Him. That what we take up is what He gives us. And when we do that, He works in surprising ways. As we open ourselves to Him, He brings life from the dead. As we're looking expectant like the little ones for what our Father is going to do, we will be constantly amazed that even in the places where we thought we had really blown it, He will redeem. And He'll work through those very errors and weaknesses to change hearts, to change lives. And if you're like me, you will find that there are times when you think the thing you were least proud of actually becomes a place where He manages to touch another life, where He manages to give a witness where another hears and receives the gospel, turning the hearts of the children to the fathers, the fathers to the children. I thought I'd learned over the years when I was preparing for Catholic priesthood and felt like I was stripped down about as far as as I could go. But like St. Paul, I think I have to keep learning afresh. What does he say? If you would come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And follow me. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will.